Will you bow your heads with me? Let's say a word of prayer before we dig in here. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us together this evening. Thank you for another Christmas, allowing us to be together to celebrate with each other tonight and with family members and friends throughout this month and uh, tonight and tomorrow and in the weeks to come as families make decisions as to how they're going to celebrate together. And Lord, tonight we anticipate looking at one of your richest promises to your children. And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would help me to preach it as well as I can, that you'd give me the gift of preaching and teaching from your Word. I pray that you would give each person here the grace that they need in order to receive the Word implanted, which is able to save our souls, that you would perform your work in those who believe, that you would, you would plant seeds and maybe even tonight bring some seeds to fruition in people's lives as we meditate upon your word. So Lord, bless the reading, the study, and the preaching of your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Which do you want first? I'm not going to give you a choice because as I prepared this message, I got to, as it flowed, and I'm just going to flow through, we're going to flow through one verse tonight, but, and it's all going to be up, up in front of you, but as I did it, when I got to the bad news part of it, I just sensed that maybe it'd be better to get the bad news out of the way to begin with. Now, for most of you here tonight, there's not, there isn't going to be any bad news. And for those of you to whom there will be a little bit of bad news, that's good, as you're going to see. I tried to think of an illustration that would help us to understand why we have to do it this way or why I think we should, and that is something that I've probably shared over the years on Christmas Eve. But when I was growing up, Christmas Eve was kind of half torture, half ecstasy. And the dividing line was 5 p.m., because in our tradition growing up, we would open the gifts that were wrapped and under the tree. And with eight kids, that, there were so many gifts. It was unbelievable. They were just all out. And we were staring at them for a month or watching as the pile grew and just anticipating and shaking gifts and trying to figure out what, what might be in there for us. So we were just anticipating 5 p.m. Christmas Eve. And, but up until then, for a kid, that was torturous to just wait that long. So we would always be trying to think of things that would pass the time quickly. And I remember one Sunday, bear with me if you've heard me tell this story, but I remember one time going in about noonish to my mom and dad's bedroom and in their closet, which we were familiar with because of playing hide and seek, it was a, it was a hiding place. But I went in there and, and all my dad and mom's shoes were just kind of thrown into the closet. And I just sat there and closed the door and I remember laying back on those shoes and falling asleep. And I was, they woke me up about 5 o'clock. And I'm so glad that they did. It was one of the best naps I've ever had. It was so relaxing. It, the time flew by. But if they wouldn't have woke me up, it, as good as it was, if they wouldn't have woke me up, I never would have been able to enjoy the celebration. And that's the way it might have to be for you or for someone here tonight. 
you might be here tonight and you might need to get woke up out of your sleep of not understanding what the gospel of Jesus even is, not being able to participate in the celebration because you're literally spiritually asleep. And so let's go to the bad news first. And my prayer for you, I've been praying hard for every one of you. And so if there's anybody in here who has so far been living your life and not understood what salvation is or what it means to be born from above, to be a new creature in Christ, if you're there, then I'm praying for you that as we talk about a little bit of the bad news, that you're going to wake up, that God's going to do that in you. It would not have been loving for my family to leave me asleep past 5 o'clock. And similarly, it would not be loving for me tonight to not share this with you. So let's start there, and then it'll be, it'll be all downhill from there. So I'm going to go to number four on our outlet. Whoa, ho, ho, Merry Christmas in Rome. Paul wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Rome in the first century, people he had never met, but he just gives this 16-chapter letter to them that has so much richness in it. We've been preaching through it verse by verse for the last many months here at church, and it has just been wonderful. But here we are about halfway through in chapter 8, and what I want to do is move ahead, see if I can get to point number 4. All right. So go to point number four on your outline. We're going to talk about the object of God's action. So let's look at the the verse that we're going to be studying. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, real familiar verses, Christmas verses to you. When the angels appeared to the shepherd, let, let me read to you from Luke two fourteen: Glory to God in the highest, the, the host of, of angels sang. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, among men with whom he is pleased. Now, some versions say, and and this understanding of it, because of later manuscripts that I think changed it because it's a little uncomfortable. Because the verse actually says, the the most reliable and oldest manuscripts say, peace on earth among men with whom God is pleased, or among men on whom God's favor rests. And the misunderstanding because of later manuscripts is, at what you've all heard, peace on earth in the song, uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, for instance. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Just let's all be nice to each other. It's Christmas. Let's call a ceasefire. Some wars have had ceasefires on Christmas Day so that enemies could stop killing each other. And that that's all that that verse means. That's a misunderstanding of what that verse means. So looking at this verse, what it says is, all things work together for good to certain people. Now, uh, the promise and the guarantee and the certainty that we have in this verse we're studying tonight is for a particular group of people. We can all understand this on a horizontal level, can't we? 
we all, every one of our families here, sets boundaries around the group that's going to benefit from our provision. We only give gifts to so many people. We only provide food for so many people. We, we have to set those boundaries, but particularly for us because we're so limited. But, but it's going to be family members. It's going to be friends. It's going to be insiders. It's going to be us, right? Now, if we were unlimited like God is, we could say, well, it would be nice if we could just invite everybody over for Christmas. But that really isn't the way it works. Now, for God, there are those on the outside. There are those who are... And if you're on the outside, if you're here tonight and, and the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart and you realize, you know, maybe I'm not in the in-group. If you're sensing that, you're not able, the person on the outside is not able to experience the blessedness of God's kingdom because that person is still living in sin. They're still separated from God. They're outside of the family. They just are. I, I was that way. You were probably that way at some point in your life. You're, you were still enslaved to sin. You were still continually seeking fulfillment and happiness by satisfying the desires of your flesh. Maybe you're here tonight and that's still your life. And yet you've believed the misinformation that when Jesus came, he just saved everybody and it's just goodwill. Let's just be nice to each other. It's a lot deeper than that. So who is this promise for? To those who love God. So to, if you're filling out your outline, number four, the object of God's action is to the ones loving God. Now in this verse, that's not, it's not really, a, I don't want to confuse you with this, but it's not really a command, like you've got to love God. And it's not really a prerequisite. If you don't love God, then you're not... It really isn't functioning that way in this verse. I think what it is, is it's simply a description of the person who has received sonship because they have believed in Jesus. And therefore, they're God's loved ones. And they, they're pleasing to God and his favor rests upon them. And this is just the description of our life. If you're that person, you know what it's like. You just trust God. You just take him at his word. You obey him because you know that his way is best and things are going to go better for you. Things are going to work out together for good, no matter what comes your way. So that's the person who is the object of God's action that we're going to be studying tonight, of working all things together for good for that person. And then the second one is to those who are the called. So, I mean, it's the same group of people. It's those who love God and those who are the called ones of God. Now, this, is, this call is not the general call, like many are called, few are chosen. This call is what we call the effective call of God. This is what happened to me when he called me and said, Tim, I'm knocking at the door. Open the door. And I did. This is the call that maybe you experienced at some point in your life where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just made it crystal clear, this is what it is and I'm going for it. This is the call that uh, is a summon to believe. It's the call that Jesus sent out to Lazarus 
when he said, Lazarus, come forth. What was Lazarus, Lazarus going to do? No, I kind of like it in here. No, you don't even, you just go. That's the call. The called ones of God are those who have experienced that. And maybe I have experienced that. Most of you I know have, right? But maybe somebody has. And maybe tonight he is calling you. And I'm praying for you that tonight, this Christmas, this moment in your life, as you sense God summoning you to come and believe in his son Jesus, that you will do that and you will receive the gift of salvation. Now, to the ones that this is written to, to the ones loving God, to the ones called by God, let's now go back to number one. Okay. Whoa, ho, ho. The reason I like that title is because in chapter 8 of Romans, the subject is the Holy Spirit. The difference between the ones called by God, the ones loving God, and everybody else on the outside is that they have received Christ. Christ has come into them and lives inside of them in the person of his Holy Spirit. That's what chapter 8 is all about. Just read it. And so we've seen that that there's a sadness in the world today. We're told that in chapter 8 that the whole creation is groaning for salvation. It's the sad music that's playing behind all of the joyful stuff. It's always there, isn't it? And we're also told that we groan for that day of redemption, the full redemption of our bodies when Jesus returns and we are raised from the dead and then we receive our full sonship in Christ. And so... Uh, that's why it's woe, the bad news, but then it's the wonderful good news. So here's the passage we're going to be studying. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, if you're in the New American Standard Version, which I typically preach out of, you'll see that this is a little bit of a different translation. This is the New King James translation. I think this is the best translation of the Greek sentence that we're going to be studying tonight. So I've chosen to preach out of this one. So the first thing that we're going to study is that we know some things. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you you understand some stuff. And that's how Paul begins with us. And let's call this, number one, the knowledge of the Christian. What do we know? Or what should we know? Maybe it hasn't been explained clearly to you. Maybe you've believed a lie about it. But there are some things that we need to know if we're going to live a joyful, free life while we're on this earth. So the knowledge of God's children. What we know to be true, what we understand and we accept as true, we believe, and then that necessarily determines all our attitudes and all of our actions. Doesn't that make sense? What you, believe, you act upon what you believe. So how do we know what we're going to study tonight is true? Well, because God's word says so. And the Holy Spirit's ministry in the context here, the Holy Spirit will be uh, moving in your heart and he will be comforting you in the midst of some hard stuff that some of you are going through today. The Holy Spirit will be convicting you of the truth of this and giving you certainty. 
And the Holy Spirit will be doing his ministry of encouragement. He's the, he's the one who comes alongside you and, and speaks words of encouragement to you. He's the paraclete. His work of illumination. Oh, I never thought of it that way before. Thank you, Lord, for clearing that up for me so I can believe that when I'm under stress. He'll do his work of intercession that we studied last Sunday. The Holy Spirit will groan with, words that are, with, with groanings that are too deep for words for us when we don't know how to pray. Some of you are so stressed out right now, you don't even know how to pray. Isn't it, don't, isn't it good to know that that's okay? The Holy Spirit's filling in all the gaps. The Holy Spirit knows what's in your heart. God knows, and he's doing that beautiful work of intercession for you. So just rest in him. Now, we're going to come back to that more after we discover what it is that Paul says we know. And we know, we know, secondly, the scope of God's action. And we know that all things work together for good. The word all, if you're taking notes, you could write above all things. Um, The word all is pan, like panoramic views, you can see everything. Ta is what? Things. Most of you listen to me preach know ta is things. So panta is everything. All things. So what's he talking about? Good things? Yeah, obviously. What about uh, while we're in this world and we are groaning because of sin and the consequences of sin and the decay that we see all around us and the disease and the death and the drama, and the perpetual struggle with temptation, suffering, every kind of trial that we face. Come on, let's be honest, life can be pretty hard. There's this sad music that's just playing all the time. And so does it include that stuff? Does it include your past? Does it include things that were done to you? Things that you did to others? Does God work all that together for good? Yes. What about today? What about those memories that you have, the regrets that you have? The weaknesses that you live with every day and you're just so painfully aware of. And the war that is constantly raging within you with your own flesh and your repeated failure to do what you know you should do but can't. Romans chapter 7. And the broken relationships that you're living in. The separation that you're experiencing from some people in your life. The scary situation that you're facing today, and I know many of you are right in the depth of this. What about everything, all the things in your life today? What about those things? Will he work all those things together for good? Yes. What about tomorrow? I'm not getting any younger. You aren't either. Life's not getting simpler. Not Life's not getting easier So does this include tomorrow? Does this include those things that I fear the most that could happen, that maybe I've been spared from so far? Yes. All things 
work together for good. And that leads us to the something else that we know that's in this verse, and that is the nature of God's action. And we know that all things work together for good. This word work together is fascinating. I've been hearing a lot. I've been overhearing a lot of recipe sharing this Christmas. I don't bake myself. I just smell it and then I eat it. But lots of people around me do a lot of baking. I know a lot of you, that's your thing. And thank you. And, but when you're baking... You, I hear the recipes. So you got to put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you throw it all in the bowl and you mix it all together, right? And you're, it's like kneading dough that you've, you've put all the essential ingredients in and then you're just there and you got to just keep working up. That's exactly what this word working together means. It's hand mixing dough. It is literally, um, we insert he works together, God works together. That's implied because the word simply means it all just comes together. And so he works things. And, and it's not just, this is another misunderstanding people have, it's not just, well, things have a way of working out. Yeah, they do. Things blow over. Storms cease. The, the, the smoke clears. Yeah, it, it's going to do that. And you've learned how to cope with things. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that all of the things in our life, every single last detail is actually in the bowl and it is in the hands of your Creator. And He is mixing it all together and He's working it all together ultimately for good. All things work together for good. Now, sometimes we see the outcomes quickly. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was in prison in Rome. But he said to them in chapter 1, he said, Now, I want you to know, brethren, here's something you need to understand, that my, my circumstances, being in prison, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He could already see it. He said, so that my imprisonment in Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. The Roman army is hearing about Jesus. And that most of the brethren, so the Christians in Rome at that time, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to preach the word of God without fear. So Paul saw immediately, although being in prison at his age, about probably about my age, being in prison wasn't part of his retirement plan, but he could already see God was using it. And so sometimes we see it that way, don't we? Other times, sometimes we don't see it for much later. William Barclay wrote, We don't need to be very old to look back on life and see that things we thought were disasters worked out for our good. Things that we thought were disappointments worked out to greater blessings. We can look back and we can see a guiding and a directing hand in it and through it all. I'm sure you've experienced that. And some things we are not going to see in this life. Some things we're not going to understand till, till we're with Jesus. But we know that 
all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So we've already covered the object of God's action to the ones loving God, to the ones called by God, to those who are called. Now finally, let's look at the last thing that Paul says we know. And that is the goal of God's action according to his purpose. We know that God has a purpose. And, and, you know, people, I I will give almost everybody credit for this, people just do have, if they've been raised in the church at all, they do have an understanding that God, that something bigger is going on than what I'm in right now. And so I'm thankful for that. I want them to to hone in on that and tweak it and and really understand this stuff clearly so they can love God and really walk in obedience to him and live life in a way that they can experience God's blessings more fully. But I think most of us do understand that God has a reason for this. All of our suffering as we've studied is temporary. It is short, lived in light of eternity and it's all purposeful. God is using it to, to uh, test our faith and to produce endurance. And I just want to refer to a couple verses here. Right in Romans, if you're in Romans, I'm just going to go back to chapter 7 real quickly. According to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? Chapter 7, verse 4 says, Therefore, my brethren... You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, joined to Jesus, to him who was raised from the dead, so that we might bear fruit for God. Your suffering is an opportunity to bear fruit for God, isn't it? Our trials, when we realize this stuff and we remember it in the midst of all the stress and the pressure of our trials... When we remember it, it gives us an opportunity to respond to it in a way that will testify of our faith in Christ, right? So rather than me, oh, I just want this to change so it goes away and everything goes smoother for me so I'm happier, if I embrace that trial and say, I've got to endure this rightly so that it gives me an opportunity for people to look at me and say, wow, look how she is handling that. Look how he's handling that. That's amazing. I don't know if I could do that. Where does he get that? Where does that come from? And then they realize it comes from his re- or her relationship with the Lord. So, and then I'll move forward to, back to chapter 8. Look at verse 19. The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So it's patiently waiting for Jesus to return. Verse 23 Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We're just waiting for the second coming of Christ. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, we'll study this in a week or two. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So he predestined that these trials in our lives are the tools that God will use to make us more and more like 
Jesus. That's his purpose. And we are called according to that purpose. Not so that everything goes perfect for us, but so that we become more and more like Christ. So, according to his purpose. Short term, and then chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which I hope is happening tonight, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, according to his purpose, what ultimately we're looking for is full and final redemption. When Jesus returns, we're raised from the dead. That's when it all will be perfect. But for now, here we are. And we're in this body. And we're on this earth. And it's the way it is. And that's your family. That's your immediate family. That's your extended family. Those are your friends. This is your responsibility. And I know enough of you to know the heaviness of that tonight. I know what some of you are going through, and I can just extrapolate that to the rest of you and just imagine what some of you are living with today. And so, I ask you tonight, those of you who are the loved ones of God, and you love God, and you've been called according to his purpose, those of you who have done, has God ever ignored you? Just think about this as you, as you try to endure the pressure that you are under tonight. And, and it's only Christmas Eve. There's Christmas is coming. So, has God ever ignored you? No. You might have felt like it, but he didn't. That's not true. Has God ever not listened to you? No. doesn't matter how you feel. He ha- he's there. He is listening. Has he ever been unfaithful to you? No. Has he ever been stingy with his grace? No. Has he ever been unwilling or unable to help you? No. So what a precious gift this knowledge was to the church in Rome at that time, persecuted Christians, just like you and me, Christians who got sick, Christians who had loved ones who had passed away, Christians who were trying to make ends meet, Christians who had cantankerous family members, people difficult to get along with, just like us. This was such a blessing to them. And this what, what a precious gift I pray this will be for you this Christmas, beginning tonight. And I pray that this verse, that we know with certainty that God, that all things, all of those details work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I pray that this verse, as you meditate in just a moment, would just bolster you up for what is yet to come tonight and tomorrow and next weekend and the year to come, the new year. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you, a gift to you again and again as you need it. Every time you are disappointed, every time you are discouraged, every time you, your life is discombobbled, Every time you are overwhelmed, 
This is what we have to hold on to in the midst of all the pressure and the evil one's attempts to get us to believe untrue things about God and how God deals with those who trust in him. Will you bow your heads now and just spend a few moments meditating and I'll read this verse to you once again. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you now. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose.